Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, the ins and outs of direct indexing. What is it and why is it growing so fast? We will also discuss the benefits of direct indexing and the potential downsides. That's with our guest, Frank Nickel, Head of Quantitative Strategies and Investment Risk at Breaker Capital. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start as we always do with a look at the markets. What are we watching for at the moment? It's been a great year. The fourth quarter is shaping up on a pretty strong start so far. We've had a really strong earnings season. It promises to the year should finish strong. It's been a great time to be an investor. Some probably interesting things, of course, is the inflation news still is out there, you know, the concerns. And of course, I think the other news is, you know, Facebook just changed their name. When I talk about the <laughs> FANG stocks, I can't talk about the FANG stocks anymore. I think I have to talk about MANA or something, M-A-N-A, because, you know, Google changed the alphabet too. So I think that's the big news story right now. That is a huge news story. All right. Well, I do want to ask you about um, the spending packages on Capitol Hill that are being debated at the moment. There's major infrastructure spending, climate change, tax incentives and credits, social safety net reforms. I mean, it's really, it's a lot in there. And I just wanted to see what are you most interested in and, and what impact do you think these huge bills, if they're passed, will have on the markets? Well, actually, this is the big news story when we're recording this. And there really is, as you said, there is so much in there. I think... You know, the reality is, is there, as an investor, we kind of have to take a wait and see approach, what actually gets through. But I think on balance, I think whatever nets out, at least in the short term, it should be a positive for the economy and for the markets. And in terms of like how much really gets through and what the major impacts will be, again, we're going to have to just wait and see. Well, let's bring in our guest. Frank Nickel is head of quantitative strategies and investment risk at Brinker Capital. Frank, welcome to The Weighing Machine. Thank you, Robin. Well, before we get started, I'm going to throw it over to Rusty for our very important opening question. All righty, Frank, you ready for this? I am. I gave you the heads up for it. We just need that walk-up song. Here's your, you're coming up to take some swings and some really tough questions. What is that song we can hear? So I'm going to go with September by Earth, Wind & Fire, purely because it was the song that my wife and I came out to at our reception. I don't think we've had an answer like that, but how can you lose with that answer? Pretty good. So if if I don't want to use that one next year or the next time, you probably understand why. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know you got you have one fan already on when they listen to the podcast, right? That's (laughs) correct. (laughs) All right, Frank. Well, tell us about your background and how you got to the investing industry. So I recently joined Orion. By recently, I mean I joined in June. I had been with Morgan Stanley and Smith Barney for 27 years, uh, really all of it on the investment side. You know, I had what I would call a number of interesting roles over that period. I was an asset allocation strategist. 
I ran our due diligence group. I was a director of investment strategy for manager selection. And then finally, right before I came over, I was a portfolio manager running a number of portfolios. You know, having been there for that long, I was really looking for some new challenges as I'd started there right out of graduate school. And, you know, one of our coworkers approached me with the opportunity and it sounded like something really interesting. You know, direct indexing in particular was something that was starting to gain popularity and steam in the markets. And as I said, it seemed like a really good opportunity. Right. So today, what your responsibilities are managing quantitative strategies and investment risk at Brinker. Can you tell us more about that role? Right. So, you know, if you just look at the title, there really are sort of two different aspects to what I do. The first, by quantitative strategies, you know, what that really means is that I'm responsible for setting the portfolios and selecting the securities, really setting up investment processes that drive the direct indexing strategies that we offer for our clients. You know, we really, I think, think about direct indexing maybe a little bit different where most people lump things into one generic term when they say direct indexing. We really think about it twofold. You know, first off, we think about the strategies are really separately managed accounts that are systematically driven. And then secondly, we think about overlaying a tax overlay on top of that. And then the second aspect of my role is really what I would call investment risk. And that's just really looking at risk across the various platforms, you know, making sure that the offerings we provide for investors you know, are meeting their objectives from a risk and return perspective. All right. Before we really dive into this whole topic of direct indexing and all the value and benefits of it, how do you describe it? What is direct indexing? So I think at its highest level, direct indexing is really just a process that seeps to replicate the risk and returns of a popular index. But you're doing it by buying individual securities rather than buying an ETF or a mutual fund, which I think is really the key distinction for direct indexing. It's the holding of individual securities. So direct indexing, it is really the fastest area of growth in investment management, and it is hot. So how would you describe what is the value of direct indexing? What are the primary benefits? So if you look at the value for direct indexing, you know, I, I really think what's most importantly, if you look at the history of what the separate account universe have, has been. So you know, if you think about separately managed accounts, people were really doing it in a search for alpha you know, I think as you looked what happened down the road, that search for alpha became somewhat elusive to investors. And that sort of, I think, partially led to the popularity of index type investing. And even index investing has really had its own uh, genesis through time. As you started off thinking about in indexing from an ETF, excuse me, from a mutual fund perspective, and then gradually moved into the ETF from where again, investors were trying to find alpha, but they weren't able to find it. So they moved along to the passive space. Now, one of the big things about direct indexing is this whole concept called tax alpha. I mean, in some ways, how you've already described direct indexing, it, it might sound complicated to some people, but sometimes if you just talk about tax alpha, it's like the value just comes screaming across. How do you describe it and how's it calculated? Right. So if you think about tax alpha, you know, probably the easiest way to describe it, it's just the difference between your pre-tax return and your actor tax return. You know, as you start to drill down into the actual calculation, 
you know, I think most people are used to thinking about returns on a pre-tax basis relative to a pre-tax index. But the math becomes a little bit more complicated is when you move from an investor's after-tax return, where it takes into account their individual circumstances relative to an after-tax index. So I think that's something as investment professionals, we're going to really need to start thinking about and understanding is how you calculate after-tax returns. You know, and then I think the other interesting thing, and you know, I think one of the key benefits is, you know, as we've talked about before, Rusty, for direct indexing is it gives the investor the opportunity to personalize or customize their portfolio. So if you think about a traditional separately managed account that's model driven, you basically get every investor sort of looks the same that, you know, not to use a bad word, but you might get like a cookie, cookie cutter type portfolio. With direct indexing, every investor is going to basically get their own portfolio. So what that means is when you think about it from a composite or from a return calculation, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, their account, because of their tax situations, going to look very different from Mr. and Mrs. Jones because they might have very different tax situations. So again, what that really rolls up to is in a traditional separately managed account, You've got accounts that have very similar return patterns versus in a direct indexing strategy because of the personalization and customization. You know, again, the big selling point for direct indexing, you might get some big range of returns within the composite or within the way investors see their actual uh, return history. And Frank, can you tell us more about why you think direct indexing is growing so fast now? And do you think it can continue to grow at this pace? So why I think it's growing so fast now is probably most importantly, it's technology, where if you go back 15, 20 years, direct indexing was available, but you know only at million dollar or even higher type minimums. What's happened with technology is we've had the ability to bring those account minimums down to $50,000 or $100,000 type minimums. So what that's meant is it's allowed us to take that down from you know, what's called ultra high net worth individuals where it might have been available 15, 20 years ago or institutions and take it down more into the mainstream area. You know, if you look and you say, is it likely to continue? You know, I, th- I think, you know, Rusty, we've had this conversation the, the growth in the industry is, if you look at industry studies, it's where you're expected to see the most growth in terms of investor assets. And then maybe even more important than that is if you look at M&A activity in the investment space, you're seeing a lot of deals occurring within people, bigger firms trying to buy direct indexing firms to capture the technology and the processes that we have in place at Orion. So you know, I think to summarize what I would call the Orion viewpoint, you know, we're, we're huge proponents of direct indexing. We see it as a huge growth opportunity for the firm. And that's why we've been trying to beef up our effort there and make a more robust offering for clients. Some people say that direct indexing is going to kill off ETFs. What do you think about that? Well, I, I personally don't believe it will. You know, if you, if you look, ETFs certainly are going to have some advantages going forward, at least right now with the current technology. You know, as I said, our account minimums are going to be fifty to one hundred thousand dollars. That, if you're looking at a diversified asset allocation strategy for a client, 
you might get into some what I'll call smaller type allocations. So ETFs are going to be very practical for filling out those smaller asset allocation sleeves for clients. And then also, if you want to, you know, another place where I see a huge opportunity for ETFs is to take tactical calls to particular areas. So let's take a good example of if you think energy stocks are likely to run, you've got a couple ways you can invest in energy stocks. You can buy a few energy names or probably more efficiently, you can buy an ETF. And what that allows you to do is just purchase that single security, make that tactical call to energy, but do it in a diversified fashion. So I don't think ETFs are going away. You know, I see some of the, probably the two biggest risks to ETFs is one, if the government were to take some type of tax change that would impact some of the advantages that ETFs has had historically, or two, if the technology really evolves to the point where we can get direct indexing strategies down to something like a $5,000 account, then I think either of those two things could be de very detrimental to the ETF space. This whole idea of bringing these minimums down is really mind-blowing. Again, really direct indexing or sort of the concept has been around for decades, but you're right, the technology has enabled it to bring it down to these lower account sizes. But the thing is, there has to be something that these smaller account sizes are giving up. There must be some trade-off. There must be some disadvantage to being a smaller account. So a $5,000 direct index account, how would that compare to something that has have a million dollars? What do you lose in terms of potential portfolio benefits? I, I think the biggest issue right now for direct indexing, at least as I see it, is, is we're still constrained to buying one share of a stock when we want to put it into the portfolio. And if you look at some of the names that you see that are out there, if you look at like an Amazon share price and you start to do the math, you know, you start to have to have five, six percent positions in your portfolio to be able to buy one share. I think the next realm from a technology standpoint is going to move down to fractional shares trading. And when we get there, and if you only can buy or only want to hold, let's call it half a share of Amazon, fractional shares will allow you to do that, which will allow you to bring the account minimums down to, to more, what I'll call more manageable or lower levels. All right. So well, first of all, before I ask this question, I am a believer in direct indexing. I do have some accounts that are direct indexed. But in your opinion, Frank, what are some of the disadvantages or potential disadvantages of direct indexing? And who are some investors who may not want it? So I, I think the biggest one, and, and this maybe takes a step back to what I was talking about earlier, is if you think about what the investment business was really built on, you know, I think one of the key tenants was the search for alpha. When you think about direct indexing, you're, you're implicitly just giving up that search for alpha and you're saying, I'm going to try and get index level returns. You know, uh, an advantage or maybe a caveat to that is one of the, uh, going back to my comments on customization or personalization, one of the things we can do within direct indexing strategies is tilt towards factors that investors believe are going to outperform. So let's say you had an investor that believed that high price momentum stocks outperformed over time. We have the ability to give investors a high price momentum uh, version of our direct indexing strategies that would allow them to have that search for alpha but at the factor level versus, I think the way traditionally people think about the search for alpha, it's at the individual security level. But we are not going to really attempt to provide that. Our search for alpha is really going to be 
that, you know, again, trying to provide some type of factor exposures that uh, investors believe can outperform. We can also do things such as cybersecurity or biotech. Key areas that, you know, if investors see the news and they look at what's changing the marketplace, you know, one, they see risk from cybersecurity. Cybersecurity attacks happen all the time. So they might say, hey, that's a great thing to invest in. We've got a cybersecurity direct indexing uh, strategy. Biotech, you know, particularly if you look at what's happened with COVID, people say, oh my God, biotech has really changed the world here and has brought us back to our normal lives. I want to invest in biotech. So again, we've got a biotech strategy that would allow investors to really move into those areas of the market that they think are going to outperform. I have one more question in terms of potential disadvantages. And do you ever get this question that comes up? So, you know, a a taxable direct index account during a time of market volatility is going to generate a lot of trades because you're tax loss harvesting. Do you ever get any pushback on the number of positions in a direct index performance report or any pushback on the number of trades in a direct index account? I mean, it's a lot of activity. I mean, I get it. There's an economic reason for it, but nonetheless, it's a lot of activity. Do you ever get pushback I would on that? say it's fairly minimal. We've I've seen strategies, as I said, I used to run a research group that was responsible for evaluating outside managers. And we had some managers that were trading really, really frequently. And if you look what the client would receive at the end of the year, they might get a they might get a statement from the government with their gains and losses that would be two or three inches thick. I think that is a little bit of an impediment for clients, but with, again, technology changing the way things can be automatically uploaded into tax software, I think, I think that's partially gone away. All right, let's change gears a little bit here. And Rob and I are going to ask now some of our favorite questions, but one of the questions is, And given that since most of our audience are financial advisors, and since you have worked with so many advisors over the course of your own career, in your opinion, what do you think makes a good financial advisor? I would say it's it's really twofold. One, the financial advisor has to listen to the client, and two, put the client's needs first. So, you know, on the first comment, if the advisor is not listening to the client and understanding what the client needs, what they want, what their objectives are. I don't think the advisor is going to be able to help them meet those objectives. And then clearly, the, the second aspect in terms of putting the client first, that, that I think is just basic table stakes in terms of what we should be doing for our clients. All right. And another question is, in our profession, we all have an obligation to perform at a high level. And really, the question is, what are your wellness practices, both physical or mental, to ensure that you're performing at a high level? I would say I'm, I'm trying to do all the things that you read about. Eat pretty well, get enough sleep, get some exercise. But from a mental standpoint, I'm also the opinion you also have to have a little bit of fun just to keep yourself balanced. Absolutely. Well, one more for you, Frank. Do you have any recommendations for our listeners on how to stay informed? What should they be reading, podcasts they should be listening to? So maybe, maybe I'm a little bit more old school. I, I have a tendency to like to read more than listen compared to, I think, a lot of people that, that are more in the video or audio type realm. So again, maybe it's the fact that, that I'm showing the fact that I've been in this business a long time. But I, again, personally just like to read. I'm more of a visual type person. Well, Frank, it's been great having you on the show today. How can listeners learn more about Brinker and direct indexing? I, I would say one of the things that 
if you look throughout throughout my history, I've always tried to do is make myself available for advisors. So I'd say, please feel free to reach out to me if you have questions. You know, probably the best way to reach me right now is just frank.nickel, and nickel is N-I-C-K-E-L at orion.com. Or from a material standpoint, we, we are in the process of, I would say, enhancing our marketing materials, but probably the best place to start would be with our profiles, our fact cards to get an understanding of each individual strategy. But again, reaching out is always, I think, the best way. Well, Frank, I really appreciate you being on the show, but I do have one more question. And this could be one of the more important questions, depending on who's listening. And also, given your experience, you're also on a very experienced fantasy football league player. So what are the what is the best strategy to win at fantasy football? Well, one, I would say initially, you got to know the rules of your league you're playing in because I'm in three different leagues and they all have slightly different rules. And I'll give you an example of that. One of them, we value tight ends a lot more highly than most leagues. So the way we've structured the scoring is you can get a top performing player from anywhere from a quarterback to a running back to a wide receiver to a tight end or even a defense where we've got it structured so they can each pick up points, not so much for kickers. And then from a strategy standpoint, I generally have a tendency to load up on running backs because it seems to me like that's where you get the most injuries. So I'll try and get a decent starting lineup across the board, but to try and make sure a lot of my backups are in the running back space. I loaded up on tight ends this year. Now you tell me. Well, I've got one league where I've got maybe the two best tight ends in the league right now with Kelsey and the rookie Pitts. Yep. Nice. Ah, fantasy football. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words. Stay balanced and stay the course. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisors Solutions. Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information that participants consider reliable.